And again, I say we're on Luke 17. I was on mute. Sorry about that. We're all good now? We're all good now. Luke 17. We're going to look at the first 19 verses of Luke 17. So if you guys were there, I want to just read these and then we'll pray and we will get into it. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1, says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you uh, who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once, recline at, uh, at a table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he, when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, uh, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his, uh, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And Father, we thank you so much that in your word we see that you're a God who is quick to forgive. Lord, that you are full of mercy, that you are slow to anger, and Lord, it makes perfect sense that you would call us who follow your Son to be the same way. But Lord, we just confess, as we'll see that the, the apostles confess, Lord, it's, it seems more than we're able to do. We need you to teach us, to give us the faith to believe that we should and we can and we must forgive the way you've forgiven Show us what that means. Show us how that works. Help us to have the right heart and attitude towards this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in case you didn't guess yet, we're talking about forgiveness today. And this is one of those, those topics that I think we, we think we understand what forgiveness is about. 
It's like, it's like when we talk about love, or even if we've been in church for a while, we talk about grace. We think we understand what is meant by this. It's something that, that all of us have had some experience in. All of us, have, at one time in our lives, have done something wrong, said we did something wrong, and received forgiveness. All of us at one time in our life have, have had something done wrong to us and have had to choose to forgive somebody. And so it's such, a, it's such a common experience. We think, oh, I get this. I know forgiveness. But actually, when Jesus begins to teach and, and share what his standard is of forgiveness, about how forgiveness works in his eyes, then, wow, we see it's not as easy as we thought. In fact, as we talk about this, I'm going to give three kind of aspects of forgiveness. And the first one is simply the difficulty of forgiveness. And we see this in verse 1. When Jesus begins to speak to his disciples, he starts off by saying, temptations to sin are sure to come. Now, that, that phrase, temptations to sin, some of your virgins might say offenses. And the word there that's one word in some versions and three words in other versions, the word offenses, it really it comes from a Greek word, the New Testament originally written in Greek, a Greek word that can, can be translated to scandalize. And it's the idea that, you know, scandals are going to happen. They're sure to come. But woe to the person through whom they come. Woe to the person who brings scandals among God's people. I woke up this morning, and, and uh, after I had some time with the Lord, I, I, I checked some, some news, and as I saw, I got a note from some, someone about the fact that um, there was yet another church scandal, and this one involved uh, our own tribe in Calvary Chapel. And it was heartbreaking to, to hear about someone who... Um, who had had great respect for a, a pastor that had a big impact on my life early on. And I had heard about a year ago that his son who ministered with him, had, uh, who was pastoring with him, had gotten divorced and uh, that they wanted to keep him on as a pastor. And I was, uh, I was bothered by that because I thought, well, wait a second, if he's divorced, there should at least be, uh, shouldn't there be a season uh, when he thinks about what's going on, or, or is there any kind of way that they can reconcile he and his wife? And, and so I was disappointed with that, but then I found out this morning that that same person, who uh, same son of uh, my, one of my favorite pastors, has actually now been accused by four different individuals of sexual impropriety. And my heart was broken, and I just thought, Lord, why? Well, how, how is it that we do things that are so wrong, so foolish. And I was, as I was beginning to feel angry, I felt like that maybe the Holy Spirit stopped me and I had this thought, except for the grace of God, so go I. That not only am I, could easily fall into sexual sin like anybody else, but e e even just the idea of, of what the, his father did, and because I guess I should say that <clears throat> his father, who's the pastor of this church, has said he didn't want his son to still step down from being a pastor, even after those scandals. And I thought, Lord, I, I, I could do this. I, I could easily be, be in a place where I would want to justify um, the standing uh, uh, of my children in front of God's people um, and, and somehow think that it's going to be okay. I, I knew I could do this. 
The point is, is that when Jesus wants to begin to talk about forgiveness and he wants to show us that, man, this is difficult. It's not easy to forgive the way he calls us to forgive. The first thing he calls us to do is to be uh, sober about our own sinfulness. We, we have to understand how sinful we can be. In saying that temptations are going to come, but woe to him who's going to come, he's saying, listen, this is a serious thing. You have to recognize how easily you or I could easily fall into any sin. We really could. It's interesting, in verse 2, he says it would be better for, uh, for this person if this, he had a millstone necklace. If he was basically in a place where he would be drowned in the sea, it would be better for that person to experience that than to, listen, cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, the, the reference to little ones here is not necessarily children, though obviously, unfortunately, the church has been guilty, hasn't it, with abuses towards children historically. But really, in this context, what this is talking about is probably those who are new to the faith. And if you think about it, at this point of history, uh, those who were following Jesus were very, very new at following Jesus. This is before his death and resurrection. So they're just learning that, that this is the Messiah. This is God's chosen king. And, and Jesus is saying, anybody who does anything to stumble them, it would be better for them if they were drowned. That's how serious God's judgment is against when we sin and stumble people, keep, scandalize them and push them away from the faith. Now the thing is, is that when it comes to being sober about our sin or sober, sober about our human sinfulness, th there needs to be an understanding that we are both, we've got to recognize we're both perpetrators of sin and victims of sin. That, that we are those who have been sinned against and we are those who sin against other people. We need to see that about ourselves if we're going to be prepared to walk in the forgiveness that God has for us. Because what happens is, if we only see ourselves as perpetrators, if we don't see, if we don't recognize the sin that's been done against us, and we only see the sin that we've done against other people, what can happen with that is we can get crushed under condemnation. That we can just think, man, all I am is a wretch. I don't ever do anything right to anybody. And everything that bad that happens to me must be my fault because I'm so bad. And we just get crushed under the condemnation of the enemy. But the other problem, and this is probably the more common problem in our day, is if, if we only see ourselves as victims of sin, oh, everyone sinned against me. All these bad things have always happened against me. If we only see ourselves as victims of sin, we're going to end up being bitter and self-righteous. We need to see ourselves as both. We need to be sober about the fact that we have been sinned against, which means we, need, we have an opportunity to forgive, and be sober about the fact that we have sinned against people, specifically, as David says in Psalm chapter 51, we've sinned against God supremely, or he says it only. It's being sober about our sin that actually prepares our heart to see the value of forgiveness, the necessity of forgiveness. But there's something more here. When Jesus begins to kind of sort of lay out some groundworks for forgiveness, some details of forgiveness in verses 3 and 4, it's important that we see that what he's calling us here to is a commitment to uh, mutual growth. That this isn't just about um, uh, some sort of transaction or this isn't just about me trying to, to uh, feel better about a situation. It's about us wanting to help each other, especially as God's people, help each other grow to be more like Jesus. 
So let's look at these phrases that he uses here because all these things kind of help us to think about how forgiveness uh, and the practice of forgiveness uh, keeps us growing. He says in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. It's, it's, like, it's like he's saying, hey, if you're seeing that there's sin that needs to be dealt with, ask yourself, why do you keep seeing this particular sin? Because one of the things that, that tends to happen is when we see sin in people, we forget about the sin of our, our, our we forget about our own sin. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, right? Uh, before you take the log out of your brother's eye, or the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. Interesting, a log and a speck, literally the word for speck is splinter, are made of the same material. And this is what can happen. We can go, oh, that person's like this, or I see this person doing this to me. And actually, maybe we're guilty of the same thing. And so there's a need for us, as we're wanting to, to, to practice uh, forgiveness and restoration, that we're actually recognizing our own sin, asking ourselves, why do I keep recognizing this sin? But Jesus also says, if your brother sins, if your brother sins, so if we feel like we've been offended or scandalized by some, someone, Jesus is kind of saying we need to think about this. Have we been sinned against? Now, now it's, it's, it's okay that we've been offended in the sense of it's not wrong that you're feeling offended. Don't, don't be condemned about your feelings. But we do have to ask, if I'm offended, is it just me? Maybe, maybe this person didn't mean to be a bit short with me or something. Or maybe the person didn't see me. They weren't ignoring me. They just didn't simply see me. And so that offense that I'm feeling should just be overlooked. Can I just overlook it? There's definitely times when we should just overlook things and, and not assume that someone's doing something purposely against us. Is it something that I can just absorb? And what I mean by that is, is that in, in one sense, all sin, or all forgiveness, excuse me, all forgiveness is us absorbing an offense. It's always that. But there are some things that are... I guess small enough, you might say, that it would be better for the relationship if we just kind of absorbed it. We have to ask ourselves, if, if, if our brother's sinned against us, should we just absorb this? Or maybe we should question it. Maybe we feel like, no, this, is, this keeps happening. They keep saying these things to me or doing these things to me or ignoring me in this way. I, I need to deal with this. Well, rather than go right in their head first, maybe we need to say, hey, you know what? I just, I've noticed you do this in this situation is... Is something going on? Is there a problem between us? Or, I mean, are you angry? Or what's going on? And we should just maybe question because maybe we're perceiving something that when they begin to give the whole story, we recognize, man, there was a misunderstanding or it was just something that we can easily deal with. But there are times, listen, and Jesus is, is being clear here, if your brother sins, right, rebuke him. There is a time for us to confront one another about our sins. Now, when we talk about sins, this, I, I know right now all of us are kind of thinking, right? We're thinking about specific things, probably specific things that we are guilty of or we're afraid they're going to get, uh, you know, exposed, that we're, gonna, we're afraid to be exposed of. But when we're talking about sin, let's talk about all the things that are less than us loving God with all our hearts, loving our neighbor as ourselves. okay? So not just bad things that we do, but good things that we neglect. When we see people that seem to just be in a really bad pattern, either if it's negative behavior or uh, not, not pursuing good behavior, there is a thing where we need to kind of say, okay, this person seems to be sinning, so I just kind of let this go for a while. Should I just absorb it? Should I, obviously, I should be praying. Or is there a time when I have to say, listen, 
I'm seeing this in your life, and I think it's something that God might want to change. And then Jesus says this, and this is really important, because in verses 3, after he says, you know, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, I've got to confess that I, I think in years past, in times past, I've kind of made, uh, made too much emphasis on this idea that there is a condition on forgiveness, because there is. Our forgiveness is conditioned on two things. One, on Christ's finished work. That's why we can know we can be forgiven. We're going to talk more about that as we go. But it's also conditioned on our repentance, our willingness to confess, say what God says, and turn to Him. And even when it comes to each other, there's something about if we are going to fully reconcile with somebody, there needs to be repentance on their part, okay? But I think sometimes I've made so much of an issue of that or wanted to be clear about that to free people who feel just oppressed by abuse that they've experienced or neglect that they've experienced, that, that you want to free them up and say, look, you don't have to reconcile with that person. It's okay. That, that doesn't mean you don't have to forgive. Because forgiveness and reconciliation are, are connected, but they are two separate things. No, no, what I think Jesus is saying here, and it's really clear by, by the instructions he gives in verse 4. He says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, if you sin against someone the same way seven times in a day and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Does that look like repentance? You're going to kind of start being suspicious. Is this person really repenting? <laughs> or they're just kind of trying to get away with something, right? And yet Jesus says, you must repent. Now, then the point here is, is, that, is that when he's saying seven times a day, he's not just saying, okay, count them up seven times on the eighth day, get them. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we know he's not saying that because what did, uh, we, we know in, in Matthew 18 when Jesus kind of unpacks some of this stuff even more, here, here's this, this situation we have with he and Peter having a conversation about this issue of forgiveness. It says, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will I Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Seven times. Now, part of the reason he's saying this is because in the Jewish thought of that day, if you forgive someone three times in a day, then you're, you're being godly. So Peter's thinking, I'm being generous. Or maybe he's heard Jesus say this before and he's thinking, I was paying attention, Lord. I get it seven times, right? And so what happens, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And we all know he's not saying 490 times because we'd be killing someone before we kept track of how many times that happened. <laughs> now what he's saying here is this, you need to be willing to over and over and over again say, I forgive you. Because the idea there, listen, the idea of forgiveness in the scripture is, it, literally the word means to send away. It's this idea that there's something between you and me, and I want that thing out of the way so there's nothing between us. Now when it comes to forgiveness, you can forgive a person and still not be reconciled to them. For some of you who, and maybe someone who's watching this, if you've gone through some serious abuse... If you, maybe you're in a, in a marriage relationship where there's spousal abuse, God does not require you to stay in the same household with your spouse. You can forgive them and move out. I know that's way easier said than done, so I don't mean to be trite about that. But if you're, if you're in a situation where maybe you, you had a teacher or a relative who was abusive to you as you grew up, you don't have to reconcile with that person, specifically if they haven't repented. 
But there still seems to be a command to forgive, to say, I don't want that to come between us. And if there's repentance, there may be a level of reconciliation. There can even be repentance as you send your abuser to jail. This can happen. The point that Jesus is making is this. Listen, and the thing that we have to be careful of, all right, is we have to be asking ourselves, is the person responding to my moving towards them to, to see them walk in repentance? And am I willing or am I being less generous with my forgiveness than Jesus is towards me? Imagine if Jesus says, I'll forgive you seven times today and no more. After that comes the judgment. We would have been dead before we got out of bed. <laughs> no, he's exceedingly gracious to us. Now, of course, when he says this, and, and you might be going, okay, John, that, that sounds heavy, but maybe you're making it sound more difficult than it actually is. Well, look at verse 5. In verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. It's, it's like you get the sense they're going, how are we going to do this? How are we going to actually follow the standard of forgiveness? And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You see, here, here's the reality. Jesus' standard is tough because we look at this world and all we see is injustice prevailing. We, we, we see ourselves, it seems like if I make myself vulnerable, if maybe a practical example might be, if I keep working a little bit harder for my boss, all he does is give me, or all she does is give me extra work. If, I'm, if I stay a half an hour later after I'm supposed to have gone home uh, and, and I do that work without pay, guess what? They expect 45 minutes next. And you think, forget that. And, the, and here's the issue. Because we see that, it puts us in this place of I have to protect myself and I'm not going to fall into this area where I'm going to be taken advantage of. But the, what Jesus is saying here, listen, is you need to understand God's plan. Because this idea of faith of a mustard seed, listen, it's not about I'm going to believe that I'm going to forgive. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. Like you're trying to will up forgiveness for somebody. That's not the idea here. The idea is, Lord, I have to believe that you will bring ultimate justice. And because you'll bring ultimate justice, my responsibility is just to simply try to remove anything that keeps me from reconciling with somebody. Now, you can't choose for that person. They have to choose for you. But you can make the choice to try to let something go. Now, we know that, of course, when Jesus is saying these things, it's before his death and resurrection. But remember, Luke is writing these things after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, it's interesting because there's a time when the Apostle Paul is preaching to a bunch of Greek philosophers about their philosophies and their religions. And, and he, he's talking about how humanity has a propensity towards um, worshiping false gods. And, and here's what he writes. Listen. He says, God overlooked people's ignorance about idols in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him, for he has set today for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Listen, the God who sent our Lord Jesus, okay, the Jesus who came as God's chosen king and died for us. That Jesus will judge the whole world. 
perfectly in righteousness. And that Jesus is the one who says, I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive. He's the one who says this. It's difficult for us to do this, but we need to understand what he's actually calling us to do. In fact, it's not just difficult. We'll see right now. It's a duty. It's a command. Look at verse 7. Jesus gives an example or a, 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 a sort of a story that illustrates this. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, recline at the table. Will he not rather say, Prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Can you imagine going into work tomorrow morning? And as you go into work tomorrow morning, your boss says, you know what? I know you got, you're supposed to work 36 hours this week, but you know what? I decided you should have a week off, and here's, here's your paycheck early. Who thinks that's going to happen tomorrow? It's not going to happen. Now, no, this is not Jesus saying, employers, be bad to your employees. No, he's using the, that, a first century example of what they would expect in a relationship between master and servant. And the idea here is, he, he's, he's saying that there, there's a recognition of the priority of obedience. When you, you've worked, and then you come in, and your master wants you to do a bit more work, you don't go, well, no, master, I'm not doing that. You just do it. You, you, there's, a, there's an obligation there. There's a priority of obedience. Uh, when I was, uh, I guess I'd been a Christian for about a year, and I was starting to do some children's ministry at my church, and one of the first songs we taught the kids, or I got to teach the kids, was this song, right? Some of you may have heard of this, maybe not. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do, do, doodly, do, 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 Ephesians 4.32. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I missed my calling. <laughs> Not. <laughs> now, it's a cute song, and the kids would get all excited when we sing it. They love the do, do, doodly, do part. It was great to teach the kids the songs, and it was great to memorize Ephesians 4.32. This is why I memorized Ephesians 4.32 in the King James Version, because that's how we sang it. This is why I memorized it. But it's funny, when you think about this, this is crazy hard. The, the, the call of God on us, according to Ephesians 4.32, is to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. The idea is, be kind and tender-hearted to people who do you wrong. Now, when people do us wrong, we can go, that's fine, I'm not going to worry about it. But you know what you normally do? Stay away, ignore. We just kind of act like they don't exist anymore. That's what we do. But the scripture commands us, no, don't do that. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Now, Jesus goes on in the story to say this. He, he asks the, a rhetorical question. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? The obvious answer is no. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, 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 when Jesus says this, this is speaking more about than just forgiveness. Obviously, this applies for anything that the Lord would call us to do, this illustration of a, just a servant who obeys. But it's, it's, it's no accident that this is in the context of forgiveness. 
You might remember, well, you probably don't remember, but several months ago, gosh, it's been so long, several months ago when we were in Luke chapter 6, that Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? You know, the, the, the title Lord or controller or master, the, the, the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and we should follow him and we should do what he would want us to do with his life. When we come to that understanding, the Bible says according to 1 Corinthians 12, we only know that, we can only call on him like that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the first indicator that God's Spirit is working in you. Not speaking in tongues, not prophesying, but that you recognize Jesus as Lord. Lord, you're over my life. But can you see the foolishness of saying, Lord, you're over my life, but I'm going to do what I want. Does that make any sense? And so here we're talking about, in the context of forgiveness, I'm saying, don't you recognize your obligation to God? You, we, we need to do what our Lord and God Jesus says. Also, Matthew 18, again, it's a great chapter to go back and read, especially in the context of forgiveness and reconciliation. But he, he, after Jesus gives some details about how we're to, to, to deal with someone who's, who's sinned against us and how we're to pursue reconciliation with that person, he tells the story, this great story of uh, 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 the unforgiving servant. And in this story, this servant owes his master, let's say, 100,000 pounds. And he can't pay it. So the master calls and says, pay your debts, man. You owe me. And he's, he knows he could go to jail for this or worse. And so he says, master, please have mercy on me. And the master has compassion. It doesn't just say, okay, fine, here's some more time. Actually forgives him his debts. And so what happens is that servant leaves, right? Remember the master said, you've been forgiven. But the servant leaves and what does he do? He goes looking for someone who owes him 10 quid. And shakes the guy down, pay me what you owe. And the, and the, and the guy who owes the, the servant 10 quid says, have mercy on me, please. But what does the servant do? He has him thrown into debtor's prison so he, until he pays him back the 10 quid. So when the master hears of what the unforgiving servant does, here's what he says, listen. And in his anger, uh, his master delivered him to the jailers until he paid all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, notice, from your heart. Do you understand? Jesus is saying when it comes to forgiveness, it is an, an issue of obedience to God. It's an obligation to God. God, I need to forgive you call me, Lord Jesus, to forgive those who've sinned against me. Not necessarily reconcile. That requires repentance on their side. But for sure, to forgive. To say, Lord, I want nothing between me and them. I want to be kind and tenderhearted to the worst of abusers. Now, why? Why on earth would Jesus call us to some sort of standard like this? This difficult duty. This is why he tells this story. Or we see this story as Jesus interacts with these lepers. Verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now this is important because Luke is reminding us by saying on the way to Jerusalem that Jesus, remember, he's on his way to the cross. This is where his face is set. He, he knows this is where he's, what the Father has meant him to do. 
And it says, as Jesus entered a village, he was met there by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he, he, uh, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I want you to think about what's going on here, right? These lepers, they have some sort of skin disease. Leprosy is not just maybe what we think leprosy is. It could actually refer to biblically to many different kinds of skin diseases. But all these skin diseases, listen, rendered you unclean ceremonially. You couldn't go into the, the temple to worship, and you couldn't be about sort of normal society. Yet you were supposed to walk around with your cloak over your face saying, unclean, unclean, that's what you're supposed to do. And so it put the separation between you and everybody else. And so, and so when they had this, they, they, they knew, okay, here comes this Jesus guy, and we know Jesus can heal lepers. Here comes this Jesus guy, and they, they, this perfect picture of prayer, they all lift up their voice saying the same thing. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what does he do? He heals them. They knew where they stood according to the law, but they believed Jesus and they were healed. I love it too that it says that he, he doesn't say to him, be healed. He says, go to the priest and show you're cleansed. I want you to go prove that you're cleansed. And this would have been a big shock to the priests, right? Because people didn't really get cleansed from leprosy. So when he says, go to the priest and show that you're cleansed, um, you know, basically they're going to have to believe that he actually will do something. On the way. Maybe, maybe when he said that and they went their way, maybe the other nine thought, ah, he's not going to actually heal us. But, but here's what we, we read, okay? Here's what we read in verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, and I kind of assume all of them were healed about the same time, he turns back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, we know about the Samaritans, don't we, from the story of the Good Samaritan, remember? These guys were those who, who, who broke away from God's people and interbred and created their own temple and their own worship and were, were despised by the Jews. But here's what's interesting. That all these lepers were presumably healed by Jesus through faith, and yet only one returns to him in gratitude. Only one. And, and this is a really important thing because when we're talking about this, this, this difficult thing of forgiveness, this duty that Jesus gives to us, this thing that we're thinking, how am I going to do this? How do I actually obey him in this? We need to find a motivation that's bigger than ourselves, And that motivation has to be Jesus as the one who prov provides our mercy, the one who provides our cleansing. It's got to be this Jesus who we turn and thank one of the reasons we struggle, listen, with our relationships with each other, one of the reasons we struggle with church relationships, you know, people usually don't leave churches because of bad doctrine. Oh, the teaching was bad. They taught weird stuff. That does happen sometimes. But you know why most people leave churches? They fall out with people. They don't know how to get on with people. That's why they don't stay in churches. That's why they don't make the effort to, to go to small groups, to know and be known, because, well, it didn't go too well last time, so I, I don't know. But you know what gets us over that? Listen, it's not because we think, okay, 
I'm just going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. No, it's not turning back to the people necessarily. It's first turning back to the Jesus who forgave us, who cleansed us, who heals us. It's when we turn back to him and we say, Lord, thank you for doing this. In fact, it's interesting, in these verses, Luke, who's describing the scene, is purposely describing worship. Not just thankfulness, yes, that's part of worship, but worship. He falls at Jesus' feet. He, he's praising God, is the language used to describe what he was doing, but then the thanks gets directed to Jesus. Even Jesus acknowledges that he's praising God as he's thanking Jesus. The idea is that, 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 that what's happening here is Jesus is receiving grateful worship. Something happens to us. Listen, something happens to us when we turn to Jesus and we say, thank you for your mercy and your cleansing that enables us to forgive people who've sinned against us. It changes us. So, of course, what happens? Jesus answers, uh, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Who's he saying this to? He's saying this to his disciples who have seen this scene, the ones that are traveling with him to Jerusalem. When he says this foreigner, this is really important as well because we don't usually, or we shouldn't use language like this about people because it can be quite offensive and people can feel like you're just trying to push them aside. But this is not Jesus being a racist, okay? This is not Jesus, uh, 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 you know, propagating that kind of attitude. What, what's happening here is Jesus is actually wanting to not just... He's not making a statement against Samaritans. He's trying to say, you don't have to be like a Jew to receive salvation. He's basically saying this is meant to encourage all people. Because when this Samaritan comes back praising God for the healing and mercy that was found through Jesus, it's almost like he thinks, I'm not going to go to the temple. I'm not going to go to my temple. I'm not going to go to their temple. I'm going to go to Jesus. It's almost recognizing he's the temple. He's where God dwells. I'm going to go back to him, and when I go back to him, he's the one who deserves my praise. And what does Jesus say in verse 19? Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Think about this for a second. What we see happening here is Jesus pronouncing salvation to whoever comes to him. This is what motivates us to forgive in this difficult, by this difficult standard that the Lord sets up for us. This is what motivates us to obey a command that feels harder than we're able to do, to forgive from the heart. This is where the motivation and power comes from. Not from us working something up, but from the Jesus who provides mercy and cleansing, who receives our grateful worship and pronounces salvation over us if we're willing just to hear it. This is how you're going to forgive. This is what God calls us to. This is really, listen, this is one of the things that really should mark us as God's people. That we are those who are willing to forgive. And be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do, do, doodly do. So, some, some ways to, that we can respond to this. 
Do you know if there's someone who's holding something against you? You know that they haven't want to forgive you for what you've done wrong. You know they're holding. Well, I, I want to encourage you to commit to God. Say, God, help me to do what I can do to get this right. I think I have sinned against this person. I've definitely sinned against you, so I want to get it right with this person. Are you holding something against somebody? Is there someone in your life? Boss, parent, colleague, spouse, pastor. What are you holding it against? Let me encourage you, forgive them. Go through that process of, of, of saying, okay, Lord, should I just ignore this or should I absorb this or should I question the person about this or should I even confront the person? But no matter what it is that you think that, that circumstance uh, uh, needs, forgive them. Be committed before the Lord. I'm going to let that go. I don't want that to be between us anymore. I'm going to get that right. Do you believe that the risen and crucified Savior forgives you? Luke wrote this, recorded these words from Jesus after he was resurrected, crucified, ascended to heaven. Do you believe that risen and crucified Savior forgives you? And do you believe he can make you someone who's quick to forgive? Can he change your heart? Can the one we've sinned against who died for our sins, who's forgiven us all our sins, can he make us forgiving? Father, we thank you that you make it well with our soul. Lord, that you've done that by sending Jesus and all that he accomplished through his life and death and resurrection is enough, Lord, through his ascension as well. It's enough, Lord, to make it well for our souls, to know we're forgiven, and to learn to forgive. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you forgive us because you want to be with us, Lord. And just thinking of the ways that People have most sinned against me, and I think, Lord, oh, how much more I've sinned against you. And yet you love me. You gave yourself for me. Lord, I don't fully understand, but I pray that you meet us here. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that all you've done is enough. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, either online or in person. So glad you guys are here. Have some tea and coffee if you want to stay. And hopefully all you guys online, just a, a quick announcement. We are going to be stopping the live stream in the next few weeks, but you'll see the videos will be uh, uploaded pretty quick. Uh, if not on Sunday, uh, they'll be uploaded in the beginning of the following week. So just wanted to kind of give you a warning about that. Uh, we'll make sure you know uh, on our website um, as well as on the weekly email if you get that, um, uh, when that's going to happen. And also the 13th of November, 
uh, here at Hillcrest Chapel. We're going to be doing a Christmas craft fair. It should be a really a great time, so keep that in mind. Look out for the adverts for that. And, uh, uh, and also lastly, this coming Tuesday uh, is our last uh, summer prayer meeting. So if you want to come out and, and pray and praise with us, we'd love to have you 730 here at Hillcrest. All right, God bless. We'll see you all soon.